So thanks for being here tonight and suffering with me. Um, sometime back when Greg was talking about his testimony, he talked about a number of us coming and talked, Greg was talking about his sabbatical, was talking about uh, and suggested that we kind of give a testimony, uh, those of us who are not normally preachers and don't think of ourselves as preachers, and that's me. So, uh, so that's what I'm going to try to do tonight, give you a little overview. I hope it's not too high level of an overview. I was thinking this afternoon when I was going over it that I'm, I'm afraid that I've just kind of, as, as Greg would say, water skied along the top, and the details are, are perhaps more meaningful. But we'll see. Hopefully it'll do good for you. Um, when I was thinking about my testimony, and, and I've thought along these lines before, uh, I kind of thought of two themes that come to mind as I think about my testimony and my past. First, that God has chosen me and directed my life much like you read in the Old Testament as he's done for the Israelites. So... I've kind of done much like they have. God has pulled me back. And after the fact, especially, I can see where God has been directing me and protected me for some things and guided me into other things. And the second theme is joy. I think that's one thing that I feel totally confident in, that I have joy because of Christ because of Jesus and the hope I have in him. So anyway, as, as I kind of give you my overview, think about those two things and see if you can see where they are in there. And I hope you can think about your own life and see both of those things as well. Um, so... I have done this kind of thing a few times before. One time back, I think more than 20 years ago, it was way back when we were in the other building and Pastor Jack Lockhart was our pastor. Uh, he asked us to share, asked me and others, to share a short testimony and a verse that I came up with, actually I think it was Rosalie who first suggested it to me, was 3 John verse 4. Uh, it says, there it is on the, on the screen, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so I read this again the other week, and I read it every so often as I'm reading through the Bible, and it just reminded me of that time, and it reminded me of the joy that I have. Uh, I suspect the verse is, really talking about spiritual children, not necessarily physical children, uh, but I'm convinced that I can apply it to our physical children as well. And it clearly reflects the reality of my heart, both then, 20 plus years ago and now, uh, and I think it's a major part of my testimony that I find that joy. Uh, I have great joy knowing that my children are walking in the truth. 
And some of you may not know that Rosalie and I have had two children. Uh, Rebecca, you may know, Rebecca Baldazon, she goes to our church here. And <clears throat> Joshua, who died in the summer of 2000, and actually September of 2000, and that was just a few years after giving that talk. Uh, I can't tell you just how wonderful it is to know the, with great confidence that they both know Joshua knew Jesus at a relatively early age and that as we speak, Joshua is enjoying fellowship with Jesus and Re Rebecca is raising her kids to know him. Then, many of you know, we have taught first grade Sunday school for something over 30 years, and every year we get a new batch of what I call customers, those little first graders who come. And I'm always kind of out in the hallway looking for more customers. Um, so, and they provide joy every year. You know, new kids, new personalities. But to me, they just provide joy every year. And it's so great to see them and, and see them have some spiritual insight and understanding. It's, hey, it's great joy. Um, all that to say, to remind you that this is the one word uh, that I would like you to associate with me as joy. Uh, Despite some difficulties and sorrows, I've experienced joy that cannot be taken away or diminished. And I hope you're able to see that joy in my testimony tonight. Um, speaking of kids and Sunday school, I have an obligation to tell a little joke. So be forewarned, this is a joke. Uh, it's not as bad as one of Chet's jokes, but it's a joke. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> uh, so several years ago, there was an unnamed first grade Sunday school teacher giving a lesson to her class on how to get to heaven. So she said to the class of first graders, if I sold my house and car, had a big garage sale, and gave all the money to church, would that get me to heaven? And they all answered, no! So she said, if I cleaned the church every day, if I mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, no was a unanimous answer. Well then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my husband, would that get me to heaven? And again, they answered, no, in unison. Well, she said, then how can I get to heaven? And a six-year-old boy yelled out, you gotta be dead. <laughs> uh, I, I can identify with that with first graders. It seems like what they might just say in such a, the answer is almost always Jesus or something like this. <laughs> oftentimes anyway. Um, it took me a little while after reading that joke a few years ago uh, to recognize that it 
did have a real spiritual truth in it that I want to share with you as well. And it makes me think of Romans 6, verse 5, another verse that we can read there. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So resurrection first requires death. You got to be dead. Or Colossians 1.18 is not quite as direct. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the firstborn, we're the later born, but we're from the dead. So it's true, you got to be dead. And that's kind of an interesting insight to think about. We have to die. Uh, to be resurrected. So in a more traditional sense, back to my background, I grew up in California in San Diego County. Uh, my mom became a Christian when I was toddler age. I don't remember exactly when. Um, and so after she became a Christian, we all started going to church and attended a local First Southern Baptist Church. And I got constant exposure to the gospel, um, except for my dad. He didn't become a Christian. He didn't go to church. He was anti-church in reality. He was kind of embarrassed by us going to church. Uh, he, was, he was an alcoholic, is what it comes down to. And he... I think he had PTSD after World War II or something, but he was kind of angry um, and unhappy most of the time. Um, so he, and he thought going to church was not manly. Drinking a pint of whiskey, now that's manly. That was his view, so um, that didn't set too well with us, but after we were going to um, Sunday school for a while in my elementary grade, I don't know when, like eight or nine years old, we had a male Sunday school teacher who was a tremendous example to me. Uh, he was the kind of godly man that my father was not. The contrast was amazing to me. It was very real. And I kind of think that's one of those things where God exposed me to this man in a way to prepare me for my future. Um, so I accepted Christ, not directly as a result of that man, but certainly contributed by him and my mother at age 10 in a typical Southern Baptist way. I walked down the aisle when the song was played, right? The fourth verse or fifth, I don't know, maybe sixth verse, uh, <laughs> however long it was. Um, so <clears throat> then I'll jump ahead to uh, when I was a junior in college at San Diego State, I decided I wasn't going to graduate in four years and thus would probably be drafted, so I joined the Air Force. And I joined the Air Force with the intention, the objective of going to school, because I knew the Air Force was big on school 
That's about the only thing I knew about the Air Force. Um, lots of stories associated with, with all of that, but the short version is, despite numerous obstacles and all that, the Air Force, before I was in the Air Force for a year, chose to send me back to school to get my bachelor's degree. Uh, so I did. Uh, I think that was truly an, an answer to prayer and another step in one of those things where God, in his grace, guided me in my future, uh, like he guided Israel. Um, so, and I can find many circumstances, especially in my Air Force career and associated with that kind of time, where there were so many coincidences that it seemed where God chose to intervene for me, just like he did the Israelites. He directed my path and worked for my good even when I didn't realize it at the time, even when I didn't understand it at the time. And looking back, I see that more. So I wound up spending... I, I, one of the obstacles I had is when they, when they were interviewing me to go to school, they all asked me, so are you going to make the Air Force a career? I said, how do I know? I've been in the Air Force six months. I don't know anything about the Air Force. Uh, I I'm I'm, don't know. And uh, despite that, I, I went. So I was surprised kind of myself that I stayed in the Air Force that long. But the Air Force was very good for me. Um, in many ways. Um, after I came back from Thailand, uh, I was assigned a March Air Force Base in Riverside. Another major event happened. I met this young girl named Rosalie Lindholm. Uh, Anne, you may know the result. Uh, she's still with me today. She's my first wife. Uh, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Soon after that, before we were married a year, the Air Force sent me back to school to get a master's degree, uh, back to coal country in upstate New York. After that, I worked in uh, satellite reconnaissance, actually, uh, which at the time was nobody would speak of. It was all classified. And, and um, all kinds of interesting stories there. And, it was my most fun assignment, five years of doing that, uh, looking at film of denied areas in some of the U.S. and other places and all kinds of interesting things that were in the news, but I saw the up-close and personal pictures of it. It was fun. Um, and the Air Force and that assignment in particular set me up for good jobs the rest of my working life, and I'm able to retire comfortably now because of it. Um, I don't have the time to tell you all of the coincidences that fell into place over the years. Uh, we came to Santa Maria in the summer of 83 and found Grace Baptist in a few months, and we have, as I said before, taught first grade Sunday school and enjoyed it greatly, find it another great joy. And just to say, one of the reasons that I am so committed to Sunday school is that Sunday school teacher I mentioned earlier, 
uh, he was so influential on me, and we believe that it's important for many kids to see, especially a couple, or even more importantly, perhaps, a man who is interested in spiritual things and committed to God. Uh, I have to admit, I'm the fun one of the two in first grade. So, <laughs> Rosalie, she keeps things organized and going. And I have fun with the kids, so that works. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we try to be a positive influence like that Sunday school teacher was. Uh, so, and it makes me feel like I only have three grandkids, but in reality, with those kids, I have many more. So that is a great joy as well. Um, so I can't help but talk some about what I think of as my and our most meaningful uh, growth experience. Um, of course, that was the death of Joshua, our son. Uh, he, mo many of you know, grew up at Grace Baptist. He, he started coming here as a toddler, did practically everything a kid can do uh, at church, uh, every program from uh, Sunday school to choirs to Awana to youth things and all that, and was very involved in them. Uh, but just after he graduated from high school, when he came back from the choir tour, as a matter of fact, he was diagnosed with cancer. So that was like the end of June, the 1st of July. And uh, the doctors were very hopeful after the first round of chemotherapy. Um, but the cancer came back with a vengeance, and he died before the end of September. So we're thankful that it didn't last years, like sometimes it does, uh, and God chose to take him right away. And it has had a tremendous impact on our life. Uh, despite the years, it still has an impact on me. Um, and it was extremely difficult and challenging, but the experience was a very spiritual thing as well. Uh, it ultimately grew to a time of great spiritual growth for me and I think for both of us. Uh, I'm sure I can't fully explain it all to you. Uh, if I could, you know, I, I can't. Um, in fact, I don't really understand it myself. I can just tell you how it has impacted me and what it's done. Um, how is it that God allows such pain and sorrow, but at the same time increases your joy? It doesn't make sense, but it's true. The sovereign God allows things like this to happen, but yet he is our only source of real hope and joy and grace. Um, my emotions are kind of polarized over it. I feel sorrow but I also seem joy. Um, a key factor, though, is with time, the sorrow um, lessens. This is the first time I've been able to talk about it without kind of getting emotional. Uh, but the joy seems to continue. The joy is ever-present. The joy is lasting. Um, 
So I think there's a lot of encouragement in that. Uh, and even at the time, we did have joy and rejoice when Joshua was ill. Um, probably my principal joy at the time was to see his faith. Uh, you know, it's back to that uh, verse in John 3. Uh, I can have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the truth. And there's no better time to know than when you're on your deathbed. When the doctor has given you that last little talk about, so how, what kind of means to resuscitation do we want to try to do? You know, and says, well, there's nothing else we can do. We just have to let it take its course. Um, and still there's faith. That gives you joy. So I hope you guys can have such joy like that. Um, that confident faith is so encouraging. Um, and, of course, we remember the hymns that we attempted to sing. And the scriptures that we quoted, you can't beat it. You know, it's the real thing. So, it's, it's great joy. And I have joy thinking about it now. And it's had a tremendous impact on me and my personal relationship with God. My recognizing that he is the answer. He lives in me. He gives me grace. And that connection makes all the difference. The experience, despite difficulty, may draw, brought me closer to God, not further from him, as some people were afraid it would do. Um, I think it's confusing and hard to understand, but I think it's vital to recognize that is a truth of Scripture, that tests and difficulties can bring you closer to God and should bring you closer to God. Um, it made it more personal and real. Uh, now, I am convinced that there isn't any experience that could separate me from trusting God. Previously, I trusted God. You know, I, I thought he was real. I believed in him, and I mostly understood the theological concepts and terms but after this, many, this experience, many of them just became so much more real to me, more personal to me. It wasn't an academic exercise. The incomparable, ultimate importance of knowing and accepting Jesus for your salvation became truly real. The fact that this world is not a Christian's true home became truly real. I got a better understanding of how this works after reading that the ancient Greeks distinguished between gnosis, intellectual knowledge, and epignosis, the intimate understanding drawn from personal experience. And to me, the difference is like watching a video of the Grand Canyon versus experiencing it in person. Even the best video 
is not like experiencing the real thing. God with us is easy to say and affirm, but now I feel I have experienced his presence firsthand. Like I've spent time in that place and enjoyed the lighting and the hue of the colors and the lots of sunsets, so I know in a more personal way. If you ever have such trouble, don't doubt. God is with you. I also know in a very real way that Christ has power over death and eternity is real. This world is truly not our home. I feel like I was able to be present when Christ's power over death was demonstrated and he brought one of his children to his real home. This is no intellectual concept. It was and is real and true. I now understand in a new way many of the biblical terms like salvation, unity with Christ, and living hope. I'm able to identify with the words of many songs, scripture verses, and the reality that this life is not all there is. There is a better place waiting and prepared for us by a God who loves us. We are just passing through this temporary life. Trials can really give us a closer relationship with God. It becomes a type of test that proves Jesus is with you and he is better. So we're almost out of time, I think, but I want to finish with quoting some words that I found recently from the Desiring God website, actually, by David Mathis. And it speaks of one of my themes of joy. Um, and I thought it was so good, I just want to read it to you. Do you enjoy God? Not with the small enjoyment of chuckling at a clever commercial, but the large enjoyment of basking before an ocean. Not the thin enjoyment of humming along with a pop song, but the thick enjoyment of a great novel's or symphony's long-anticipated pinnacle. Not the shallow enjoyment of acquiring some new trinket, but the deep enjoyment of reconnecting with a longtime friend. Not only does God invite us to believe him, trust him, fear him, obey him, and worship him, but to enjoy him. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good, Psalm says. Delight yourself in the Lord that he will give you the desires of your heart. He satisfies the human soul, which he designed to find true rest in him. Our soul's thirst for refreshment we only find in him. A deep soul hunger draws us to enjoy him. A deep soul thirst calls out to be quenched in him. As God's own son promised, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Coming to enjoy God is a process. The discovery might come all at once in a moment, but the daily experience doesn't happen overnight. You can find many verses in Scripture that encourage you to have joy. I thought about going over a lot of those and focusing on that, but uh, let me leave you with two ones 
that I, I like and I think point us to joy. Jesus himself encourages to have joy in John 15. He says, these things I have told you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Then in Paul tells us in Romans 14, 13, may the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So, I just leave you with that and pray that you have joy tonight.